I'm saying I had made my mistakes, but now I want to change my life. Um, and you know, if we, if if we, um, as a nation, did not give people an opportunity after they made mistakes to change their lives. Um, a whole lot of people would not do do very well. I don't know where you go from here. Uh, as I sat here and I listened to both sides, um, I just felt as if, and and you know, people are use, now using my words that they took from me, that didn't give me any credit. We're better than this. We are so much, we really are. As a country, we are so much better than this. And, you know, I told you, I, I, and, 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 and for some reason, Mr. Cohen, I, I, I tell my, 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 my children, I say when bad things happen to you, do not ask the question, why did it happen to me? Ask the question, why did it happen for me? I don't know why this is happening for you. But it is my hope that a small part of it is for our country to be better. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Tonight, we have a very special live call-in show for all of you. It's 60-plus minutes of your very best questions that run the gamut from January 6th to prison reform to my time behind bars at Otisville Prison. So without wasting any time, let's go now to your conversation. What do you plan to do on your first day of freedom coming up shortly? Kevin, thanks for asking that question. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, it's not going to be something that people are going to say, oh, my God, what a great idea. It's not like I'm screaming off, hey, I'm going to Disneyland or, you know, something like that. It's more I just want to walk with my wife and my children and go into a restaurant, sit down instead of constantly being on the clock. That's the part that drives me absolutely crazy. Like, for example, on a Monday, I'm allowed out from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. And, you know, I can't even go with my son, for example, if we wanted to go to our favorite, you know, um, diner that's here um, a couple blocks away from us, you know, and just have, you know, some coffee and maybe some chocolate chip pancakes or something I'm not supposed to technically eat, right? But I just want to be able to walk and not have to worry about looking at my clock and worrying about making sure that I'm home so that, you know, when I have to do this biometric check-in, which truthfully is the stupidest thing in the world, the whole system is, I just want to be able to walk freely, not have to be relegated to, say, the park or my specific area. Maybe I just want to walk downtown. I don't know. But it's going to be something with my wife and something with my children local here. Hi, Michael. I love your podcast. I've been listening since the first episode with Rosie. It was fantastic then, and it's just gotten better. Kudos to that. Um, if you had one thing to say to the former guy at this very moment, what would that be? Fuck you. 
I don't know a nicer thing that I could possibly say. First of all, Rosie O'Donnell is absolutely spectacular. She wasn't just spectacular as being my first guest on Mea Culpa, um, but she's a spectacular human being. You know, it's it's interesting. People always ask me, how did you and Rosie meet? Well, obviously, we met through pretty rotten circumstance, and that was me, of course, defending Donald when, uh, you know, she... And he were going through that never-ending feud or war, as he used to like to say. But she wrote me a letter. It was one of the kindest, nicest letters that I received. And I received like 20,000 letters while I was um, there for the 13 months in Otisville. And I wasn't really sure that it was her until there was a very small little Polaroid of her and her daughter. And it was so kind that I decided to figure out how to get a message through to her using the CoreLink system. That's the very primitive uh, you know, system that they use in the federal institutions. And she then wrote back to me, and I invited her to reach out to my wife so that she would be able to come visit me. And, you know, I spoke to the camp counselor that was over there, and I was I made sure that her name was put on the list and she came and she spent like five hours with me. We had a blast. Everybody in the institution had a blast coming over. It got so bad that the uh, the correctional officer that monitors the um, visitation room, because technically you're not supposed to speak to anybody else's guests. But at Otisville, everybody is, you know, everybody's white, for the most part, white collar, and we all get along. That was the whole thing. So if people wanted to come sit down with us and say hi to her, and they all were such big fans, they did. And it was driving the correctional officers crazy there. Oh, you're not allowed to speak. You know, you know, we'll throw you in the hole for that. I'm like, oh my God, cool hand, Luke, take it easy, right? I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they, are, they get so out of control. Anything to just basically push themselves and push their will onto you is what they were interested in doing. But she was great. But yeah, I, you know, I, I thank you, uh, you know, for being a supporter, for being a fan. The, the show for me is more than just my ability to say fuck you to Donald. You threw me under the bus for what reason, right? Um, you could have easily just turned around and acknowledged that first and foremost that you had an affair with both Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. But to this day, he refuses to acknowledge it, even though Melania will turn around and say, I'm not stupid. I know that he did. Mind you, she just had a child. And it wasn't just with Stormy Daniels. Before Stormy, it was with Karen McDougal. And the craziest thing is that I ended up being forced to plead guilty to Karen McDougal, to my involvement in some hush money payment to her. That had nothing to do with me. Even Karen McDougal will turn around and tell you, I never spoke to Michael Cohen. I never texted, never emailed. I had nothing to do with him up until when I finally got out. She was going to come on this podcast, but I think her lawyers told her that she shouldn't. And that was all David Pecker and the National Enquirer. But I, nevertheless, I was still charged with it. I was forced to plead guilty to it, and I was fined for it. So that's what my whole second book is really about. You know, it's funny. I, I'm about, uh, what am I, about 50 pages now into the second manuscript. And it's one of the things that I talk about is really how the Department of Injustice, um, when they want to get you, 
What they do, they turn around and they threaten your family. Uh, they threatened, in my specific case, my wife, um, claiming that she was a co-conspirator to the hush money payment, which is absolutely untrue. She had no idea. And that was why I ended up using that HELOC, um, simply, in, simply because I didn't want her to know. I mean, how do you take $130,000 out of your bank account? And when your wife asks you, hey, what was that money for? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. Yeah, that wouldn't go over well with my wife at all. You know, <laughs> you said, well, why couldn't Donald just turn around and say, I, I did it because he's not capable of telling the truth. We know this. He's a sick man. He's sick. Right. I think he had something, what, like 80,000 lies over a period. It was something, it was some crazy astronomical number, um, yeah. you know, so, and then yet, aren't you, Julie, as miffed as I, when it comes to understanding why people continue to support this asshole in chief? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't understand it at me, all. Me neither. Now, now, there's a whole slew of people that I know, very, very smart, uh, you know, well-educated, uh, financially very secure. And I understand their fascination for Donald. They look at him like the buffoon that he is, but they're able, it's true, but they're able to make money off of his fat ass. And so they don't care. They don't give a shit about you. They don't give a shit about me. They don't give a shit about anybody sitting there in Virginia or Georgia or Florida. All they care about is how their 401k is doing, how much money that they have in the bank, because it's extremely important that these people should have not one, not two, but three airplanes, right? And that's exactly what Donald Trump did. He gave the rich the ability to become so rich that they're making billions of dollars a day. Obviously, none of them pay taxes, you know, so that's why they're big fans of Donald. And think about it. When anybody who to this day remains a member, for example, of like Mar-a-Lago, fuck you. Seriously, a bunch of old, white, rich guys sitting there kissing the ass of a fat, old, white guy. I can understand why the rich still support him in spite of all these things, but how about everyday working class people who think he represents them? That, that makes me crazier. That actually makes me crazier. You know what, Julie? I agree with you. It just confuses me because it doesn't make any sense. The, this is a man who, if you were laying on the street dying and all he had to do is piss on you to bring you back to life, he wouldn't waste his time. And yet, not only do they, do they support him. They're financially supporting him with money that they don't have with their, whether it's their COVID assistance money, whether it's social security money. These people are paying for this man to load up a, a, a super PAC that he controls 90% of all the money that comes in there. You know, he saw that with the Clintons and he thought, holy shit, what a great idea. Let me explain something to you. Donald doesn't have an original idea in his head. And that's why I'm capable of prognosticating what he's going to do, what he's doing, how he felt, because everything is a rehash, which is how I can tell you that during the January 6th insurrection, he went upstairs in the White House to the residence turned on all three television stations, right? Because he has multiple television stations there. And he was watching. And I guarantee you the reason that they don't want any of these documents to come out, and shame on Merrick Garland for not having them already out there, but the reason he doesn't is because it's going to show that people like Mark Meadows or 
others decided that they were going to call Donald to find, you know, should we send in the National Guard? Should we do something? But instead, he said, no, let him let, let, let him do what they're doing. And the reason he's doing that is because they're all carrying MAGA flags. Trump 2020, they have all the red Make America Great Again hats on. And he's counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And, right, and, and he's figuring out how much money that he's made. This is his paramilitary group. And the two things that you need to overthrow a government, one is a coup, right, is, a, is an insurrection like this, and the other is you stifle people's First Amendment rights, which is exactly what Donald Trump wanted to do. Uh, one of your podcast guests mentioned that the Tea Party, that started with, you know, Sarah Palin and all of them, gave rise to the QAnon fervor that we see now. What do you think? You know, look... Crazy is crazy. I'm sure you. I'm sure you know. You've you've heard that statement before. Um, you know. I look. I've met. I've met Sarah Palin. Um, is she crazy? Not like this. I mean, she's different, um, but not QAnon crazy, where they believe that there's some pedophilia uh, cabal. You know, um, democratic run you know, ring of of individuals that are, you know, abusing children. I mean, that just goes to a whole nother level of stupid. And, you know, I've, you know, one thing that my mom always taught me when I was a kid is you can't argue with stupid. And so we just have to allow them to continue. But the saddest part is while we're sitting there and we're talking and we're listening to stupid, all you have to do is turn on Fox News and you got stupid after stupid <laughs> after stupid. So you're sitting there and you're listening to stupid and you're saying to yourself, come on, nobody could believe that kind of bullshit. The fuck? Right? If you were, if you, if you were, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you start seeing guys like Tucker Carlson promoting the same bullshit on and on. And then all of a sudden you'll hear Trump get up at a rally and say the same stupid shit. And you start scratching your head and you say to yourself, come on, seriously, are we all that delusional? Right. Do do I need to go and to bring um, like, you know, uh, Visine to the whole world and show them, you know, pour, how to put this in your eyes so you could see clearly? Because for God's sakes, these people make shit up and they just run with it. And it's truly amazing how the media today has the ability to continue to promote one fake story after the other, one crazy idea after the other. All you have to do is look at guys like Matt Gates, at Josh Hawley, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, you know, uh, all these Ted Cruz. I mean, talk about Ted Cruz. This is a guy with an Ivy League education who was supposed like the master of a debate team. This guy's not even like a master debater. I mean, it's unfucking believable. He's like a masturbator. I mean, it's fucking stupid when you sit there and you listen to him go on and on and on about what? About absolutely nothing. If you imagine if you were in charge of the January 6th committee, how would you choose to deal with Steve Bannon and all of his crap? That's a great question, Cheyenne. First and foremost, I talk about it, as I'm sure you've heard many times on this uh, Maya Culpa podcast, that I'm disappointed in Merrick Garland. Not because of who he is, the fact that he's an empathetic attorney general. I appreciate that. But that's not what we need right now. What we need right now is an attorney general somewhere in between Merrick Garland and Bill Barr. Somebody, if it was me, I would turn around and I would have already served them with criminal contempt 
uh, proceedings. However, Kesh Patel and Mark Meadows and uh, and Dan, Scav uh, Dan Scavino, they're all already speaking to um, prosecutors and uh, to the committee regarding, you know, what they had done and so on. So, you know, as to Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon wants to be the out, you know, he wants to be the martyr. He wants to be made into a martyr so that he could profit off of this. And I would do him the favor that he wants. I'd lock his ass up in a heartbeat. And that's, that's what I would do. You do not have the right. You don't have the right not to show up. And what Donald Trump taught everybody is that you do not have to comply with Congress, that Congress is irrelevant, and the only person that counted was him as the president of the United States. If Merrick Garland appoints a special prosecutor to all this stuff, does it have to be announced? In other words, is it possible he already has done that and it's already being worked on? Nah, I think it would be. This is so... Um, yeah, everything today is so media centric and driven that there's no doubt that it would already have been announced. Um, they have not. I am curious, do you have any job prospects coming up or will you continue to do your podcast and, and another book? What will you be doing? How will you create money for yourself? Look, I, I certainly, as I'm sure you're aware, I lost my law license and everybody keeps asking if I'm going to apply to get it back. And truth be told, I will not. Uh, I'm 55 years old. It takes like three to five years to do it. At 60 years of age, um, I have no intention of you know, trying to re-enter as a lawyer. But despite the fact they took my law license, um, you know, they didn't take my knowledge and they didn't take my capabilities. Uh, you may have seen you know, recently I'm doing some work right now with some uh, interesting ventures with um, Kanye West, who now recently changed his name to Ye. Uh, so we speak on a regular basis and we have some pretty interesting projects going. But yes, I do have a second book. I'll tell you what, let's do something fun for a sec. What, pick, a, pick a page from one to 50. Uh, let's do 26. So on page 26... Here's, here's where it's going to read. Following Daniel's allegation, federal investigators in New York raided Cohen's home and office in April. As a former U.S. attorney told Axios at the time, here's what must have happened. Mueller bumped into evidence of criminal conduct that was beyond his scope. So he referred it to the Rod, meaning Deputy Attorney General Rod J. Rosenstein. A court ruling after the raid meant that Trump's team lost first access to items that were seized. And the secrets of, and I quote, the only person on earth intertwined in Trump's professional, political, personal, legal, and family life were, were now available to federal investigators. The scope of the government's investigation widened in May after it was learned that investigators had monitored Cohen's phones. Cohen broke his silence in July in an interview with ABC News' George Stephanopoulos, seemingly indicating that he'd be willing to cooperate with the feds. And I quote, I will not be a punch bag as part of anyone's defense strategy. I am not a villain of this story, and I will not allow others to try to depict me that way. Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, released a tape to CNN detailing Cohen's conversation with Trump about paying off Karen McDougal, a Playboy model who alleged an affair with the president later in July. David Pecker promised there was more to come. Soon after, Cohen told CNN that Trump knew ahead of time about the 2016 Trump Tower meeting between some of his top campaign officials and a Russian lawyer promising dirt on Hillary Clinton. So, you know, it goes on and on. And the basis for where this book is going on that 
is um, it's called the Department of Injustice. And really what it does, it's a forensic dissection of my entire case on how this bullshit steel dossier with 11 allegations raised against me, all of which are false. Every single one of them are false. Um, how that ended up getting into the hands of John McCain, from John McCain to Comey to Rosenstein. And after they realized, I've never been to Prague. I had never had anything to do with compromise and paying people for Paul Manafort's um, you know, illegal shit going on in Ukraine or what have you. Somehow or another, they decide to send it down to the Southern District of New York. For what? Well, Look, they had nothing, and so what do they do? They go ahead and they tell you, if you, don't, if you don't plead guilty, and this is from a Friday, August 17th to literally August 20th, if you don't plead guilty on Monday, we're filing an 85-page indictment that's going to include your wife. And look, I'm married now 27 years to the same woman, you know, the love of my life. There was not a chance in the world I was going to let her get dragged into this bullshit. So I said to him, why don't you tell me what you want me to say? And while you're at it, why don't you now, why don't you now charge me too with the Lufthansa heist and maybe the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that, that's who the Southern, and mind you, the Southern District, there was like eight people that claimed that they all worked on my case. Six of them are now at significant, significant white glove firms, Paul Weiss, McDermott, Will and Emery, Lowenstein, Sandler, Davis, Polk, Guggenheim Partners, they all went ahead and profited, claiming what? Oh, successfully prosecuted, biggest 21st century case, U.S. versus Cohen. There was no prosecution. I pled guilty to a one-page information. And don't take my word for it. Look it up. It's fact. And these fucking assholes all end up going, and by the way, they're all named in the book, and we do a deep dive into them and the whole business of why they end up going to work for, you know, the Southern District and for other prosecutorial, you know, uh, organizations and groups. And that's so that they can end up with these big white glove firms making seven figures a year, and all they care about is not prosecution. And by the way, do me a favor, Joe. There's a great article in, I think it was like 2014, uh, it was in, I think, the New Yorker, and it was written by Judge Jed Rakoff, who's a Southern District um, federal court judge here. And the name of the article is Why Innocent People Plead Guilty. It's one of the best articles I've ever read, and it's one of the most accurate. The prosecutors today don't care about prosecution. All they care about is their conviction rate. I ask anybody that's been involved in the system, the first thing that they tell you, I have a 98% conviction rate. If you think you're going to be part of that 2%, Good luck to you. Now, mind you, especially somebody like myself who's never even had a parking ticket. I have one speeding ticket my entire, entire life in 1985. This wasn't something I'd ever been used to. Sonny, he asked us, can you ask Michael to reflect more on Elijah Cummings' closing remarks to him? And I wish Cummings could now see how Michael was standing up and promoting the truth. It's, it's, it's something that I regret, and it, it's... Um, it's, it's hard for me to actually even talk about it because um, I got a chance to really know uh, Congressman Cummings in a short period of time. And one of the most um, powerful things that happened to me during this was sitting there and listening to that closing um, speech that he made. It really hit me very, very hard. I wish to God, as I'm sure his family does, that he was still here with us so I could hear the words that he had um, 
imparted on me at the end of that nine-hour debacle. Um, nothing else mattered to me. I would have said that that nine hours of, well, I should say four and a half hours of stupidity demonstrated by the Republicans, uh, I, I refused to allow myself to be um, upset about their behavior because the words that Congressman Cummings stated hit me so hard that I became almost obsessed with trying to prove myself, trying to make amends, not just to my wife, my daughter, my son, but to the country for basically unleashing the fucking devil on the country. And um, I tried to do that not just with um, mea culpa and providing you know, answers that so many people want to know, but it's why I cooperated for over 400 hours with more than nine different congressional committees, uh, as well as district attorneys and attorney general, um, you know, here in New York more than a dozen times. And so I truly believe that he is a clear and present danger to this country. And so um, it's not my determination of innocent or guilt. It's just my obligation to provide the um, authorities with the information that they seek because one thing that you will not get from Donald Trump is the truth, and you will not get the documents. Um, so, you know, whatever I can do to assist, I have done. Whatever I'm asked to do in the future, I will continue to do. Mary wanted to know if you're going to continue to do mea culpa after you're off home confinement. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've, I find a lot of... Um, a lot of solace in doing this. A lot of the preparation uh, that goes into this uh, is enormous, and I have to give a lot of kudos uh, to Jimmy, uh, you know, to Jared, to Carrie, to Lisa, um, you know, just, you know, even to Phil. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody, we all work very hard in the creation and the production of this you know, podcast. And it's really why we're top 3%. We're doing more than a million three downloads a month for a brand new show. And um, I have every intention of keeping this thing going uh, for as long as, you know, as long as you all want us. Um, and the podcast, as we tried to talk about, this is not a anti-Trump podcast. This is a news podcast that deals with news of the day. And obviously you've heard me talk quite a bit about Merrick Garland. You've heard me talk about, you know, other members of Congress that are not Republican. But what I do is I look to see what are the topics that are currently out there that people are interested in understanding more. And sadly, sadly as a country, we've allowed Donald Trump to continue to permeate our brains. This motherfucker is living rent-free in our brains every single day, because despite the fact that he lost his Twitter and he lost his Instagram and he lost basically the bulk of his social media, he still manages to get himself in front of each and every one of us each and every day with more and more chaos, with more and more stupidity. And we're not concentrating right now on the fact that Joe Biden is talking about climate control and figuring out how to stop the earth from heating up at a rate that's going to cause the extinction of this of this planet, the only place that we have to live. 
Um, instead, we're talking about Donald Trump and the fact that I may run. I may run in 20, you know, I can't announce it yet. I can't announce it yet, but I will. I won't. Somebody get me a Coke. I mean, I mean, we let this piece of shit live rent free in our heads and we allow him. Now, I understand Fox News is going to always promote Trump bullshit because they're making a shit ton of money off of it. And that's why even like the New York Post and others, they keep promoting the fucking lies over and over and over again because it's bait clicks for them. That's all that he is. He's just a profit line. And once Donald Trump doesn't become a profit line anymore, sayonara, fucker. I mean, that's just how it's going to be. So yes, yes, I promise you, as long as you want us to be on, we will be on. Is there any uh, positive progress in your own lawsuit against the Trump organization? And do you think that Trump will ever get deposed in that? I hope so. So the answer is no, he won't be deposed uh, in my case, though we are making incredible strides in it. We have, uh, I have already deposed uh, Jay Sekulow. I deposed Alan Garten, general counsel. I have deposed Eric Trump. Oh, and I also did the lawyer, Mark Mukasey. So we deposed him as well. Now, interestingly enough, what happened is they had previously made two motions to dismiss. And both of those motions were denied. They then made a third motion. And what's amazing in this one, when they had oral argument, is they, the, they went before the judge, because I'm supposed to now depose Donald, Don Jr., and Alan Weisselberg. Three people that wouldn't know the truth if it bit them in the ass. So what ends up happening? The lawyer gets up and he turns around and he says, which I thought was amazing, if we lose this motion, which he goes, I believe that we will, we're going to admit each and every one of the averments in the complaint, thereby obfuscating the need for the depositions of Donald, Don Jr., or Alan Weisselberg. So it's really an amazing thing uh, that they're now admitting to all of the allegations that we raise in the complaint, but I'm not going to be in a position, which I would have loved to, because rest assured, look, I've read enough Donald Trump depositions. I've been around the man long enough to know that the man doesn't know the truth. He doesn't know how to tell the truth. And by the way, neither does Don Jr. And certainly Alan Weisselberg does not want to come before, uh, you know, um, a, a deposition. Thank You know, actually, I want to say thank you for uh, taking them to task because it means a lot. And I know it's something it's something I could never do. My head would explode. Oh, my gosh. Believe me, I know. Uh, my question to you is once you're free to move about the country, can uh, can we expect to see you on uh, real time with Bill Maher? Uh, I've been on Bill Moore. Uh, I had a really good time with him. And the answer is, yeah. Uh, I also understand that maybe Jimmy Kimmel wants me to come back this time to do it live. Uh, that, that experience was, was one of the funniest ones that I, that I could recall. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm asked to be on Jimmy Kimmel. I say yes. They say they're going to send some equipment for me to set up. Uh, I say, okay, fine. No problem. They said, don't worry. We'll help. We'll walk you through it. This gigantic box comes. I mean, I'm talking about like what, what you would see, you know, um, kids go into summer camp with these big gigantic 
boxes, and in it was filled with equipment with lights and cameras, the whole nine yards. I set up this whole area inside my, inside my dining room with it. It took me like four hours to set it up, and then it took me about three hours to disassemble it. Uh, so, yeah, I truly would prefer to go in studio than have to do that again. Well, did you get to keep that equipment? No, no. Unfortunately, the second that we were done, they sent somebody to make sure that it was <laughs> it was going back out <laughs> FedEx. That's like that's like a quarter of a million dollars worth of equipment there. What do you think, uh, Matt Gates, going to be indicted before Trump? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. You know, Matt Gates is just a pawn. He's a you know, pardon my French. He's a fucking asshole. Uh, you know, to uh, extraordinaire. This is the guy who decides that he wants to be a mini Donald Trump. He wants to turn around and he wants to show he's a big, tough guy. And what does he end up doing? Legitimately, the night before I'm supposed to go and testify before the House Oversight Committee, he starts texting out things about, you know, how I'm having an affair, that I have all of these women on the side. Wait till my father-in-law finds out. My wife is going to leave me when I go off to prison. And so what is he doing? Right. Let's let's call a spade a spade here. What is he doing? The same thing that Donald Trump does. He's deflecting. That's all he's doing is deflecting in terms of his own dirty deeds. This is a guy who, you know, runs around, you know, high schools looking for prom dates. I mean, this is a really bad guy. And basically, he became that bad guy because he had his daddy behind him who has a lot of political influence. This piece of shit should have lost his law license for obstruction of justice and witness tampering. And I'm not even the one that brought the action before the... Um, before the Florida bar. And they turned around and they said, well, you know, uh, we're going to semi-admonish him. Uh, not a full admonishment. We're certainly not going to suspend him or revoke his license. And that's because his daddy had that all under control. But, you know, anybody else that would have done something like this would have really suffered much more significant consequences, but not him. And it just goes to show you that it's not equal justice for all. It's equal justice for those of us that don't have the political connection, you know, straight into, you know, straight into government like Matt Gates did. Uh, and obviously, you know, we knew certainly what Trump was up to when he weaponized the Justice Department and then he found a complicit piece of shit in Bill Barr. Uh, do you think Donald could be a confidential informant and that's why individual one wasn't indicted? So the answer to that is an emphatic no. Um, he truly believes that he's above the law. He stated it himself when he said that he could shoot and kill someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Uh, he does believe that he's Teflon, and we're going to show him, as a group of us, we're going to show him that that's not true. But the, per the person who I think, if you were going to ask me who could be the confidential informant in this group, I would turn around and tell you, I would bet it's Ivanka and Jared. That's who I really think it is. I think it's Jared. Look, Jared knows what it's like um, to see a father, uh, you know, off to prison and grow up for a while and see how damaging it is, not just to the family, but also to the children. And they have three children. Uh, rest assured, Jared is not built for prison. Um, Jared has no interest in going to prison. I remember Charlie, his father, walking around, um, you know, the building here where actually 
I live. Um, Ivanka and Jared live here too. And Charlie was staying at the apartment, running around telling everybody, my son's going to be indicted. My son's going to be indicted. That's when the Southern District had like a dozen sealed indictments waiting. And then they ultimately decide, this is under Jeffrey Berman, right? And Robert Kazami, when they decide that they're not going to continue and they're not going to unseal the indictments. Why? Uh, nobody knows that they don't believe that there's enough there in order to go after them and to convict them. But meanwhile, I was charged with it. I went to prison, in essence, solely because of this. But it wasn't, it was enough for me, right? But it wasn't enough for the guy who got his pecker pulled by a porn star. It's only good for the guy who ended up paying at the direction of and for the benefit of individual number one, who we all know is Donald J. Trump. I mean, there's something seriously wrong here. I have called upon a dozen congressmen in order to turn around and to find out the answer why, to have a special investigator appointed to figure this out. It's, this is clearly um, a problem on top of that. Let's not forget, if I can just digress for a second, the unconstitutional remand of me back to prison um, because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right and to publish the book Disloyal. There's something really wrong with that when they make me into the first political prisoner held in my own country for failure to waive a First Amendment constitutional right. I mean, it's, it's really fucked up and it's sick and why there's no investigation into any of that. You know, I say this to many, of, many Congress uh, members who I speak to. You know, you don't need to kill 10 people to be a murderer. You kill one and that's enough. There's so much stuff on Donald. There's so much stuff on Ivanka and Jared and this whole group of assholes that I cannot understand why that they think that they need to indict him on 50 different things when all they really need to do is indict him on one, one solid matter, and then just put his ass away. And if it's only for three years, fuck it. It's three years. Who cares? If it's five years, who cares? If it's one year, I don't care as long as it prevents him from continuing the bullshit that he's doing, which is, again, a clear and present danger to our democracy. Because, I, and I say this so often on mea culpa, I just wish people would hear me. Donald Trump did not want to be president of the United States. The entire campaign was structured to be the greatest infomercial in the history of U.S. politics. And when he ultimately won, it was all about a money grab for him. What, it's not what can I do for my country, but rather what can the country do to enrich me? And that's the problem. He wants to be a monarch, a dictator, an autocrat, a king. Unfortunately, that's not how our country was set up. And it's not how many of us will allow it to go. Jane is putting it out there. Please ask Michael why it's taking Cy Vance and the SDNY so long to indict the Trump crime family. I don't really want to get into Cy Vance and Tish James' uh, investigation. Remember that both the DA and the AG are combined now. Uh, into this. But I do want to promise you that they are working hard every single day. And while I know this process is fucking painfully slow, I mean, this is like watching paint dry. Um, they are working hard. Now, one of the things that I just want to, you know, um, explain is the fact that we know that Donald Trump is litigious. We know that he has enough money um, even though it's a lot less than what he had before, but he has more than enough money to bring on 
uh, a series of lawyers, even though many of the law firms don't want to work for him, but he certainly is enough. And in order to ensure that they, they are successful when they indict, uh, and I'm not saying if they indict, it's when they indict Trump and the rest of the crime family, you could rest assured that it's a rock solid case. No wiggle room to get themselves out. It is not going to be something like, um, it will not be a failure. They will not allow this case to just fall by the wayside because there is some technical issue that happened. And knowing that they are taking this case very, very slowly, very methodically. But I do want to promise you, and I say this a lot and I'm going to say it again, the wheels of justice turn slowly, but eventually they come full circle. And rest assured, they will all, they will all be held responsible for their dirty deeds. So, you know, Ben Adler actually just uh, popped in a, a little chat here, you know, that Georgia moves in two speeds, slow and stop. Well, you know, Ben, let me let me say this to you um, in furtherance of what we were just talking about, which is here in New York. Uh, like I said, in order to take on Trump, you cannot go half cocked. You really do have to be methodical. And I want people to remember this. Trump has trained himself very, very well under the uh, auspice of individuals like Roy Cohn, who turned around and told him, never, ever, ever have your fingerprints on anything, which is exactly why Donald Trump has never had an email address. He also doesn't write. I'm not even sure he knows how to write uh, you know, full sentences, but he doesn't write things. And he's certainly not going to turn around and send a, a message to, you know, in, on paper to Mark Meadows. Hey, Mark, go call, you know, uh, Georgia Representative uh, Raffensperger and threaten him to find me 17,601 votes. Otherwise, you know, where, you know, I'm going to send, you know, my chief operating officer, the goom, you know, Matt Calamari over there to break his legs. You're not going to find that. So there is no smoking gun. Despite the fact that Trump is a fucking idiot, one thing he certainly learned is that let somebody else do your time. Let somebody else be responsible and take the fall for it. Never have your fingerprints on anything. Now, we do know that we have him on recording. Is that recording enough? Well, the answer is we all think the answer is yes. But there are legal scholars that will tell you that it's all about intent. And he'll tell you, that's not what I was saying. And they'll say, well, let's break it down word by word. And he'll say, well, that's not what I meant. And that's his defense, you know, is that I don't, I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't, that's not what I meant because intent has a lot to do with this. So, you know, that's really where, you know, that's really where these cases are at. And it's, it's really a shame because there's definitely documents that are currently available that everybody is fighting over uh, in terms of um, whether or not Trump has executive privilege, despite the fact that he's not president, uh, whether or not that Bannon will take the fifth. Um, so, you know, who knows? I, I don't know the answer to that. I would like to see all of those documents because I can assure you that those documents 
that they do not want released are very damaging to Trump, probably Rudy Giuliani, to Don Jr., to Mark Meadows, to Josh Hawley, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and many, many others. What do you think's in those documents? What you, like, like, what's in those minutes, literally? Like, what are they going to find? Like, who we talked to? Like, 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 what's in there, do you think? I think that they'll ultimately find somebody asking him, Mr. President, we need the National Guard to be called up. We have an overthrow of the Capitol by a group of insurrectionists, and Trump is telling them to stand down. That's what I think that you're going to find. And that's why he's petrified of its release. Of, of all the offenses and the potential indictable crimes that are out there for Trump, which one will most likely lead to the first indictment? You know, a lot of people think it's the Georgia matter. I still believe in Cy Vance and Tish James. Uh, I do believe that that will be the first one that will ultimately hold Trump to task. Um, I believe that each and every one of these cases are more than enough in order to indict him and to put his ass, you know, in a witness chair, which I have to be honest with all of you, since this is mea culpa, that's not a good place for Donald. Because if you've ever had an opportunity, as I have, to read his depositions, they are uh, scattered. They basically contradict. Every line contradicts the previous line. And listening to these um, or reading the transcripts from these depositions, it's painful. And it's hard to imagine that this is a guy who went to the University of Pennsylvania this is a guy who clearly should never have even gone to school. Um, and it almost looks as if he didn't go to school because nothing makes any sense. This isn't a guy, as he'd like to say, I have a big brain. I have the best brain. I have the best words. No, you don't. You don't fucking read. So how could you possibly have the best words? What is your command of the English language? You know, I'm going to tell you a very funny story. You know, I had to write a document for him. And then he went ahead and he had changed some of it. I went back and I wordsmithed it uh, in order to make it, you know, um, read properly, proper punctuation, not dot, 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 semicolon next to, next to a comma. I mean, it, you know, again, his, his knowledge of, of um, grammar and his ability uh, over the command of the English language are both pitiful. And so what was really funny is he said, why did you change this? I said, well, I didn't change the, the, um, the, you know, the, the base of it. I just changed some of the syntax. I was just wordsmithing it. And he had no idea what the word wordsmith was. So he starts yelling at me, no, I don't need anybody to wordsmith me, as if meaning I was changing the context as opposed to just tightening up the sentences. When I explained it to him that, you know, wordsmithing is, you know, a word that's used by publishers and so on and editors. Um, he, he uh, you know, he sort of relaxed a little bit, but he has no command over the English language. Mr. Bigley, Mr. Kofifi. It stands to reason that since we know Trump cheated in the 2016 election, uh, that he did in 2020 also. And it seems like that he really, really is astounded that he lost because he assumed he'd win from his cheating. And of course, he can't say that 
but he seems convinced that he was he he was cheated out of his illegitimate win. My question is: um, Is there anybody investigating him for 2020? Well, uh, well, let, let me start with your first, um, you know, the first part of your question, which is, you know, the allegation that he cheated in 2016 to win the presidency, and um, what are you basing that on? You know, l- let me say: Do I think that Donald Trump um, should have won? Based upon what we all know, the answer is an emphatic no. But Donald Trump did not cheat in order to win the um, the 2016 election. He did not. You don't consider any of that with Russia to be no, 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 no. So l- let me let me say there are things that were done, including um, you know. Roger Stone's working with Julian Assange, the dumping of the emails of John Podesta, um, you know, which certainly hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign. But Hillary Clinton is the reason why Donald Trump won. Now, I'm not I'm not a Hillary hater, but there are way too many people that I have spoken with around this country that if it was anyone else other than Hillary, anyone, right, including Billy Bob's dog, they would have won the election. Hillary Clinton was the only individual that Donald Trump could have beat. It was like the stars were aligned for this orange-crusted, bloviated, ignorant, arrogant asshole. It is incredible how it all fell into line. But there was no cheating in the ballot box, not in 2016, not in 2020. Those those systems are protected. We had a fair and honest election. What I told everybody when I testified before the House Oversight Committee, as well as the eight other congressional committees that I met with in the skiffs, I knew that if Donald Trump lost in 2020, that there would never be a peaceful transfer of power. And I said it three and a half years ago. And interesting is that everybody today quotes it as if that's some sort of a fact. Well, it wasn't a fact back then. And you had to see the fucking eye rolling that these members of Congress were giving to me, you know, when I made that statement. But I know him. And I knew exactly what he wanted. He didn't want to be, you know, have, he didn't want to have to run again. He remembers there was a saying once that he had heard, uh, you know, regarding Vladimir Putin, that it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the votes. And that's what he was trying to do with Georgia. But there was no steal in 2016 and there was no steal in 2020. The bottom line is he bullshitted his way into the presidency by saying, I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman. Nobody knows how to build better than me. I'm going to build the greatest walls, you know, to to protect our borders. Because quite frankly, a country without borders, quite frankly, isn't a country. He had heard that from somebody else. It was like on a, it was on like a fucking bumper sticker. And he thought it was smart, so he wrote it down. And he memorized it. I mean, this is, this is who he is. And the fact that he had no platform, that nobody knew what he stood for or not, whatever it is, if you would have said, you know, you ever see there was a there's a great movie um, with uh, Galifianakis. Uh, it's the candidate, right? Where he's constantly like, you know, uh, 
Ohio, you know, uh, you know, minors are, you know, this country's backbone. And he would go on and on. And that was Donald Trump. He would say anything to any organization that he thought would provide him a benefit. And he went on and on. And what he did, which was the right thing to do, he figured out who the silent majority is, not the Republicans that were going to vote for him no matter what, not the Democrats that if he lit his ass on fire on Fifth Avenue, that they wouldn't vote for him no matter what. But the group in between, the people that actually make up uh, the winner and the loser, he figured out that these were disenfranchised people that he could bullshit. Now, interestingly enough, the people he could not bullshit believe it or not, were the minorities, the, you know, members of the black and the brown communities and, the His- and many of the Hispanic community. Um, you know, he managed to bullshit the Cuban community. Uh, but then again, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they are very, very, as a group, they're very successful and they liked his tax plans. They liked the fact that they were making more money, less regulation, rip everything down and then just let people run amok. Um, Joe Biden is not that person. But once we had something for Donald Trump to be held accountable for, he lost. And he lost by a significant margin. Do you think he thinks he really won? Well, as I say all the time, Donald Trump is a narcissistic sociopath. The fact is that there is no way in his mind that somebody like a Joe Biden could ever beat someone like a Donald Trump. So he says something over and over and over again. And what makes him into a sociopath is he starts to believe his own bullshit. And that's what makes him dangerous, because these are like the traits that you would see in like a Mussolini or a Khrushchev or an Erdogan. You know, these aren't, you know, what the average politician who is narcissistic, but they're not sociopaths. What are your thoughts on how to break Trump's hold on his base? I have my doubts that any indictment or finding from a January 6th commission will make any difference to them. For some reason, they want to believe all the crap Trump peddles. What's it going to take once and for all to break the hold? Yeah, that's really a great, great question. Um, It's very hard. You know, narcissism is one of those things that's intoxicating. And um, it sort of gives the listener, especially the person who is following the narcissist, it's almost like um, the Kool-Aid. And we, you know, we always use that expression, you know, stop drinking the Kool-Aid. The problem, though, is that Trump, who is a narcissistic sociopath, has managed to get into the minds of these people and they have drank the Kool-Aid. I'm not sure that you could break them out of it. Uh, The only way to sort of get them out of it is you sort of have to remove him from the process. And if you remove him from the process, while for a while they'll sit there and they'll talk about how our fearless leader, you know, um, was improperly indicted, incarcerated, um, removed from the system, blah, blah, blah. It's not, that's the only way is to allow time to get him Um, out of our heads and out of our minds and basically out of our lives. Um, One of the ways to possibly do it as well is stop covering him, right? If you notice, there's as much, if not more, conversation about Donald Trump than about Joe Biden. And some of the things that that I truly despise, and I despise a lot, 
is the fact that so many people, Republican and Democrat, want to constantly belittle uh, Joe Biden. We'll just say, for example, on Afghanistan. Now, I don't know how others on this, you know, um, who are listening feel about, you know, about this, but I believe that Afghanistan was a major success in terms of the um, leaving of Afghanistan, extricating ourselves from, you know, that war zone. Certainly, Joe Biden is not the one who put us in Afghanistan. That was George Bush 20 years ago. And we have spent trillions of dollars right now trying to teach Afghani army to fight for themselves and so on. We've spent an absolute fortune there and nothing has, has occurred. Now, Trump was the one who actually created the out or the concept of us leaving which didn't help Biden, but at the end of the day, it all happened under the Biden administration. And so, yeah, whatever went wrong is on him. Do I think that the, um, the leaving of Afghanistan was a total success? The answer is absolutely not. It was not a 100% total success, but you have to, it depends on how you want to look at it. The way I look at it, 125,000 people left Afghanistan, 13 passed, and my hearts go out for those service members, their families, their friends, right? But this was still war. And at the same point in time, while we're going to talk about numbers of people dying during that same time period, hundreds of people died here in the United States as a result of COVID, something that Donald Trump and Mike Pence were very quick to say, you know, is not real. Um, you know, science isn't real. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci is a, is a dope and he doesn't know anything about epidemiology, that Trump's gut knows more about it than he, uh, you know, it, and all of this other bullshit. His gut knows more than his generals. I mean, this is the problem. It all depends on how you want to look. Oh, well, there were people that were hanging from the plane and there were, you know, there was this um this bomber that showed up and all that other stuff. I get it. We're in fucking Afghanistan. And it is difficult. That operation, while not perfect, was pretty damn successful, in my opinion. And I'm entitled to my opinion as everybody else is entitled to their opinion. Um so you know, do I think that, you know, Biden is doing a good job here? Do I think that, you know, Trump, you know, needs to go away and we need to allow Joe Biden his four years of administration unencumbered by the likes of the Mitch McConnells and the Donald Trump and all of this bullshit wrangling? Because, folks, this is very important. It's like when you get onto an airplane, even if you're angry, for example, at the airline, you don't wish the plane to go down while you're in it. So why in the world would somebody like Donald Trump want to blow the country up, burn it down to the fucking ground because he lost the election? Because that's what a five-year-old does, right? They, you didn't give them two scoops of ice cream. They take the one scoop in the cone and they throw it on the floor. That's what they do. He's a petulant child and he has no regard for you. He has no regard, certainly, for me. He has no regard for our Constitution, for our country, for our democracy. And he will do anything to denigrate anyone in order to become 
again, what he wants to be, and that is our supreme leader. So let me thank everybody. First, let me thank you, Jimmy, uh, for, you know, messing up uh, all night long with mutes and shit like that. And, and let me thank Spectrum. Let me thank Spectrum for their wonderful Wi-Fi spotty service. For God's sakes, we're here in the middle of Manhattan and I can't even get proper Wi-Fi service. So, um, you know, Spectrum, fuck you. Uh, you know, and then, you know, let me thank Carrie um, Caulfield for, you know, for her help, uh, you know, as uh, our other, um, you know, producer there. Uh, Lisa is, um, is out. For a couple of days and other than that thank you all for uh i mean there's a lot of people here make sure that you follow mea culpa uh you know continue to tell your friends subscribe listen rate you know uh we're doing incredible thanks to all of you uh so please again share with all of your friends with your family you know join us in the conversation it's extremely extremely important and i look forward to speaking to everybody again most importantly, as we're entering into the midterm elections, I can't stress enough how important it is that we all stay the course, stay with the fight, make sure that you're involved with your local democratic uh, groups, make sure you get out there and vote, make sure you ensure that your other, um, that your friends, your family, your coworkers, everybody gets out there and votes, and of course, vote Democrat, because rest assured, if, for example, the House ends up turning Republican, I promise you, the very first thing that a Mitch McConnell will do is he will turn around and he will go to impeach Joe Biden. This payback for their supreme leader. And then they'll turn around and, you know, they'll try to do the same if, in fact, obviously it's not going to pass through the Senate. But help, you know, today with the craziness that's going on, you never know. So please, everybody, you know, vote in your local elections, your town, your city, your state. All of this is important. We see what's happening. We see what's happening every single day with the gerrymandering, with you know, the taking over of these um, you know, local and uh, state uh, you know, uh, positions so that they could control who votes, when they vote, how they vote, what you need to vote. No, 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 that's not right. It's supposed to be, you know, you show up, you show your, you know, you, you make sure that you're in your right voting, you know, location and you vote and end of story. And yes, Jane, Mitch McConnell is a super douche. So let me then leave it on that. And every, oh, most importantly, everyone, I don't know how many times I say this. I try to use all of these mediums for, um, as a, almost like a, a personal, uh, uh, what do you call it? A public service announcement. It's extremely important. So I want everybody to hear me. It is still so important that we all mask up, safe social distance, keep our hands clean, and most, most, most importantly, get the vaccination. If you don't, you're a fool. And I don't allow fools to listen to mea culpa. So please make sure you get vaccinated. If you need the booster shot, get the fucking booster shot. It's the most important thing that you can do, not just for yourself, but for everybody else around you, for your wife, for your husband, for your sisters, for your brother, for your children, for your cousins, for your neighbors, for everybody. So please just make sure in that way we can make sure that no more Delta variants, no more Mu variants. We can do whatever it is so we can get our country back on track and that, you know, everything can open up and we can all start to enjoy our lives. You know, me personally, I didn't feel it as much as so many others because, again, I'm in home confinement for 21 hours a day. 
but soon, 19 more days, I'm going to be out and about. And I really would like to be able to go to a restaurant and not have to have my mask on. I would like to go to a restaurant and be able to speak to the person across and be able to hear them. You know, um, so please, um, I'm begging everybody something that our former idiot in chief should have done instead of being a coward and hiding out in the White House, getting the, the vaccination and then leaving the very next day without telling anybody. He should have done what George Bush and, uh, and uh, Obama and um, what do you call it? And um, Bill Clinton did. I mean, they all got it on television showing people it's safe because it is safe. And again, I'm just imploring everybody to please get the vaccination, um, stay safe, stay strong. And I look forward to everybody, you know, joining us again. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa. Nothing but the truth. This is my mayor.